Welcome to the Author Alchemist Podcast. I'm here to make your writing magic happen. I'm going to teach you how to use your superpowers to ignite, inspire, and encourage your creativity so that you can turn lead into gold. Join me, Kimba York, as I delve into the many mysteries of inspiration, motivation, and imagination. So here we are at the 10th episode. As I've mentioned before, I record these things out ahead of time. So for me, here, it is just the start of fall officially, which in northern Florida means almost nothing because it's still heat index of over 100 every day going on, and the sun is bright and shining, which means that you're not going to get the atmospheric sounds of thunder and rain as you have in some past episodes, but it does mean that my recording studio is going to get a little warm in here. And by recording studio, of course, I mean the spare room that serves as both the storage area and my studio for what it's worth. This episode is going to be about a really popular piece of advice that's given to new authors, usually without too much explanation, really. I I see a lot more discourse going on online about it. We're going to be discussing a couple of Twitter threads that go into it a bit. The advice is kill your darlings. It's most commonly attributed to author Allen Ginsberg of the Beat Generation poets, writers, genre, era. But it actually goes back much farther than that. Officially, there's no real certain source of the quote. Slate wrote up a really neat article about it a while ago. A short article, but it's interesting, and I will link to it in the show notes. Essentially, the quote goes back to probably 1914, a book called On the Art of Writing by a writer named author Quiller Couch, which honestly sounds like a character out of a Harry Potter novel, but he wrote advice on writing that railed against ornament and the exact quote from his book is actually murder your darlings you'll hear it both ways everywhere but anyway no matter who originally said it it's been repeated often enough and by many well-respected writers and writing teachers over the century, that it's just become a mainstay. And like many other pieces of advice, it's often given as a rule that beginning authors should follow to advise them to not get caught up in their own genius wordsmithing. And there's some solid advice to be had in there, but In this podcast, we're going to break it down a little bit further, especially in regards to genre writing, which has a unique place in this discussion, because what is genre writing if not writing what you love? And if you've listened to my podcasts in the past, you know that my big deal 
is to write what you love. So if you kill your darlings or murder your darlings and your darlings are what you love, then you're just not going to write anything. Or you're going to write something and then immediately, I don't know, take it out back and burn it. Kill your darlings. Sounds a little violent for my tastes, but also a little pointless. It's you're going full circle there, right? Okay, so let's talk about that then. As advice for beginning authors or authors who are beginning again, people who haven't spent a lot of time writing, etc., 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 what is the value of Kill Your Darlings? It can caution authors against becoming too enamored with the words that they're putting on the paper. I suppose. I have a couple of arguments against that that we're going to go into here in a little bit. But I do want to say, for the sake of argument, that as good advice, it can keep authors from going into our worst excesses, I suppose. Um, For me, okay, so, you know, what are my darlings, right? My darlings tend to be dialogue scenes. I enjoy writing snappy dialogue. I remember watching the movie His Girl Friday as a young woman. Oh gosh, no, I probably saw it as a child first. I remember it seeing it on TV. My mother was really excited uh, whenever these old classics came on television and she could share them with me. So we were up late watching it because these things never aired at Five o'clock in the afternoon, right? No, they they aired at like 11 o'clock at night as filler for late night TV. Man, the dialogue on that movie is just amazing. It's a classic for a reason. The patter, fast-paced, witty repartee of that movie is amazing. Even almost, you you know, 80 years later, going on 100 years, just floored me then and still floors me now. And I think I sometimes get so enamored with dialogue and trying to write dialogue like that, that I kind of forget everything else a little bit, you know, like describing scenes and settings or making clear which character is talking. Minor details, right? In my case, killing my darlings can sometimes mean going back and trimming down a dialogue scene, which may be really witty and entertaining and funny or something like that, but really just is just banter and has very little role either in the plot or in character development. That's a judgment call I have to make as an author. Is this, is this particular witty repartee revealing something about the characters I want readers to know? Or uh, did I just kind of get enamored with my ability to make characters sound smart and funny. And, you know, I would say about a third of the time it's the latter and I have to kill my darlings and trim the scene back or redirect it or do something like that. It happens is what I'm saying. And because it is good and helpful advice, it tends to turn up in various guises and in different ways through any kind of training or teaching you might get. 
You may never hear somebody specifically say, kill your darlings, murder your darlings, but you may hear them say, well, this is self-indulgent. This reads like a Mary Sue or a self-insert fic. Or even the dreaded, this scene just seems to drag on. Which I find ironic because if any scenes tend to drag on, it's pretty much any scene written in the Victorian era. I mean, I love Charles Dickens as much as the next person, but uh, there are many, many books and authors from that era that just dragged scenes through the mud for no reason other than they were getting paid by the word or because they could. Uh, William James, please step to the front of the class. I did find one version of this advice that I thought was particularly helpful, and that comes from Josh Whedon, who tends to inspire very fiery feelings in people. And as for myself, I can kind of take or leave him. I never watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I know, I know. Don't get on my case about it. It was just uh, not my era and not my thing at the time. I do love Firefly and Serenity, and I do love his uh, first Avengers movie. But there's many other things of his that I'm not quite so enamored with. But he is a creative artist who's both talented and skilled, and I thought his advice along these lines is a lot more helpful and direct and to the point than just kill your darlings. This advice right here, I'm going to quote it, I'm going to put it in the show notes as well. If something isn't working, if you have a story that you've built and it's blocked and you can't figure it out, take your favorite scene or your very best idea or set piece and cut it. It's brutal, but sometimes inevitable. And the funny thing is, I found this piece of advice years after I came up with a similar rule for myself. As a pantser, and we'll have some, at least one episode upcoming where we talk about the difference between pantsers and planners, but uh, the short version is a pantser writes generally without outlines. I develop my characters and my setting and my plot and just dive right in. I really can't write any other way. I've tried outlines. It doesn't work for me. But the upshot is that I do actually write myself into corners more often than not. And sometimes that's great. I write myself into a corner and I sit on it for a little while, and then I figure out this amazing twist. I remember something I wrote four chapters ago that suddenly has become very important, never intended it for it to be important, but now it's going to save the characters from the jaws of the dragon or whatever hazard I've put in their way. And then I'm out of the corner and writing again. But sometimes I don't get out of the corner. Sometimes I just sit there and I look at that corner And I have no idea what went wrong. And I have no idea how to get my characters out of the dead end I've put them in. Nothing comes to me. And at that point, I created a rule for myself. Go back to scenes. Not to chapters, but to scenes. And how you define a scene can depend on the structure of your story. But for me, that's usually less than a chapter, maybe about half a chapter 
Uh, sometimes it can be going back a full chapter because that's where the problem started. That's where I realized I took that left turn and I should have taken a right turn and that is where the problem needs to be solved. Not at where I ended up, but two scenes before. Doesn't always solve the problem, but nine times out of ten, it does get me out of that corner. I may lose a scene I really love in the process. One of those scenes that either gets discarded or completely rewritten might be one that I just cherish. In which case, I put it into a little folder called Scrap. And I work in Scrivener, so I usually have a small folder within the document itself for the scrap and leave it there. I often come back and take it apart, use the pieces that I like in another scene later on or insert it earlier on or somewhere in the story where it fits better than it was originally placed. And so in those situations, Kill Your Darlings can really, really be useful advice and help as long as you can figure out how to apply that advice just kill your darlings don't take a chainsaw to the whole damn thing kill your darlings by looking at what's really the problem and how you can go about solving it so whether you do my two scenes back rule or whether you follow uh, Josh Whedon's advice of going to the favorite scene or the set piece scene and working it out from there. They can complement each other, one or the other. That's the type of advice that might be useful to you in the act of killing your darling. But don't let kill your darlings become a mantra. Don't let kill your darlings become a way for you to prove that you're a real writer a real author. It's dangerous. Because here's the other side of that coin. And at this point, I'm going to go to um, author Jeanette Ning. I have to admit, I haven't read her work. I'm going to go look for it. But I was researching this podcast and came across a Twitter storm stream that she wrote about this very issue. It's fantastic. I urge you to read it in whole. I will link to it in the show notes. But the heart of what she says here in this, in her tweets is this. Kill your darlings as an axiom to live by, at least, stands in opposition to the idea that you should write what you love, what you feel most passionately about, what you crave. And then she further goes on to say... I think, really, most important thing. Sometimes, yes, you might have to cut a passage, a character, a plot point. But you're not killing it because you love it. It wasn't wrong because it was an indulgence or a darling. Your love is blameless. You don't have to be cruel to be kind. So circling back around to what I started with, which is if you're writing in genre fiction because you love genre fiction, but then you have to kill your darlings, which are the things that you love, how are you going to write anything, right? That's the point here, isn't it? That writing what you love is important. It's what you want to do, and it is personally fulfilling for you. The act of loving what you write is important, because if you don't, then how are you ever going to finish anything? How are you going to edit it? 
How are you going to get it out there into the world? There's a certain level of confidence, and yes, ego. I, I went there. A little bit of ego is needed to be a writer and to be a writer who shares their work. But writing what you love means loving what you write and means not killing all of your darlings because your darlings might be the thing that resonate with your readers, whether it's the type of hero or heroine you're writing, whether it's your fractured and flawed protagonist or your heroic and noble antagonist, your complex villains, your anthropomorphic keyboard that talks to the cat. I don't know. There's a lot of different ways you can take your darlings into a story, but they're important. Your flights of fancy are what make you a writer. They're not the thing that you should cut for sake of not sounding egocentric or arrogant. I think my advice, as opposed to kill your darlings, would be that I don't want you to be afraid to redo it, to recreate it, to reimagine it. Whatever you're writing is flexible and beautiful and interesting and fun, and that's exactly what it should be. You are your own god. You create these characters. You own these characters. And maybe they own you a little bit. And personally, I think that's beautiful too. So I hope this got you out of the mire of fear and uncertainty that the advice, kill your darlings, can instill in authors and helped you see the bigger picture of the importance of having darlings in your writing and what it really means to, as Jeanette Ning says, write what you love, treasure your darlings, love what you love. Okie doke, that's it for this episode. Now let's get out there and do some writing. Thank you for listening to the Author Alchemist podcast. I'm Kim Moo York, and I hope this episode has helped to clear away the cobwebs from your inspiration and given you the power to write the stories you want to read. For more podcasts and other tools, please visit my website at www.authoralchemist.com or email me at kimboo at authoralchemist.com. I'd love to read your questions and feedback. Now, it's time for us to get some writing done. Talk to y'all soon.